Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. In the late 80s, uh, Kellogg's Corporation watched one of their dominant cereals losing market share, cornflakes. Cornflakes was noticeably losing sales to generic versions. They came up with a new ad campaign that you might remember. Taste them again for the first time. Anybody remember that? Late 80s, early 90s? No one, no Kellogg's cornflakes eaters this morning? Oh, we've got a few, all right? So they came up with this, this new slogan that said, taste them again for the first time. You know, this simple uh, two-part phrase became one of the most famous slogans for them. Kellogg's invited Americans to simultaneously return to eating cornflakes and taste them anew. And guess what? It worked. It worked. Sales began to go back up. It's genius, really, to call uh, to a call to go back to relive the pleasure, the delight, the satisfaction of a product which may have lost its luster in your mind, and then to place it in the pantry once again. Am I making too much noise here? Okay. So I want to preach to you a sermon this morning. There we go. That's better, right? I want to preach a sermon to you this morning that I've entitled Cornflakes and Jesus. So that's a real spiritual one, right? <laughs> Cornflakes in Jesus. Cornflakes in Jesus. Revelation chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, if you would turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write... These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for the privilege, Father, to be here this morning and to preach your word. What a privilege, what an honor, God. I'm asking for your anointing. This letter that you have written, Father God, we would not take it lightly this morning, Lord. 
God, I'm asking by your Holy Spirit that you would move upon hearts and lives of individuals. Even now, Holy Spirit, move on hearts. God, open hearts, soften hearts, Father God, that we would not have a hardened heart to you this morning and to what you want to say to us. Hide me behind the cross of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. This morning, <laughs> we're going to look at a letter. I'm sorry. This is, <laughs> I've been battling with this message. <laughs> God, God, I've been up since 4 o'clock this morning. God loves us so much. He loves us so much, and he wants to do so much. If we'll let him, if we'll let him. So I believe that we can read this letter written to the Ephesus church and apply it to CT Church and to our personal lives. My prayer this morning is that you will allow the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Open your heart this morning. So to understand some of the things spoken to the church, we need to look at the city and have a little bit of background. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, but I believe it's really critical uh, to this letter to understand a little bit of the background of the church. So Ephesus was important for several reasons. First, it was commercially important. Ships came to Ephesus from all over the world to bring their goods and their wealth. It was the richest city in Asia Minor in its day. So we're talking about a wealthy city. It was politically important. They practiced self-government, which means that they, uh, they could make whatever decisions they wanted to, to make without the uh, uh, Roman troops looking over their shoulders. It was religiously important. Ephesus was the home of the temple Diana, Artemis. Diana was the goddess of sex and fertility. So as you can imagine, people from all over came to visit. They wanted to come see this place, go to the temple, Diana. The temple was filled with hundreds of temple prostitutes. And the way that you worshiped Diana was to have sexual relations with one of the prostitutes. Imagine that. So a little bit about this city, it was very easy to see why this city was very wicked. It was very degenerate. It was a vile place to live. It doesn't sound like any of our cities in America now, does it? Oh, no. It was to this city that God sent the Apostle Paul, who founded and preached this church in Ephesus. He was there for about three years Timothy was in that church, Aquila, Priscilla, Apollos, all of these great names that you recognize served and ministered in this great church in Ephesus. Now fast forward 30 years, and the Lord comes to this church to speak to them about where they are and where he wants them to be. The first thing we see in verse 1 is that he has them safely in his hand, right? 
Verse 1 says that he has them safely in his hand. In a society that was completely out of control, Jesus assures them that he is in complete control. Amen? God is in control this morning. Satan is not in control. The government is not in control. Politicians are not in control. God is in control this morning. Amen? And so he reminds them. He says, I'm with you guys. Don't freak out. Don't panic. I'm with you guys. He's observing them. He's protecting them as they are living for him, as they're doing the labor, they're doing the work. He knows what's happening in the church. Verses 2 and 3, what Jesus knows about this church in Ephesus, he knew their works. Jesus knows the condition of the church. He knows the inner workings. He knows the condition of the hearts of the people in the church. Jesus knows what's going on. We may think that we can fool him, but we cannot. He knows. He sees. We might be able to fool each other. It's easy to get dressed up real nice and pretty on a Sunday morning and come to church and raise our hands and say the right things and do the right things, right? But only God knows the condition of the heart. Jesus knew what this church did right. He said, your works, your labor, your patience. They worked hard for the Lord. They had a steadfast endurance. This was a solid church, right? A good church. You cannot bear those who are evil. They took a stand against wickedness, against sin, against the immorality that was in that city that they were living in. They lived differently than those that were around them. This was a good church. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and not become weary. They persevered. They pushed it through. In this city of wickedness, no doubt, it was very difficult. It was very hard. But they labored. They did not become weary. They persevered. They did not give up. They continued to do all of these things. They hated the teachings of the Nicolaitans, it says, which Jesus also hated. Many scholars believe that the Nicolaitans were teaching a doctrine that allowed people to serve the Lord and still live immoral lives. That doesn't sound familiar now, does it? What a sad state of affairs that many churches are in today who are preaching a false doctrine that you can live an immoral life and everything's all right, everything's all good. And so they hated this teaching. And Jesus said, that's good, because I hate it too. So we're talking about a great church here. Then Jesus says this one word, nevertheless. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. All of the good that they were doing, Jesus took notice of, but it did not cancel out what he's about to tell them. I want to take a minute here because I've heard it preached many times that the people lost their love. This verse is very clear. They did not lose their love. It says they left, right? They left. There's a big difference between lost and left, 
when I'm trying to get out the front door and I'm running around the house because I can't remember where I put my car keys, I lost them. I don't know where they are. They're gone. I lost them. I can't find them. My phone, I'm pinging with, you know, the watch and everything, trying to find. You're running around the house listening. I'm not the only one, I know. It's lost. We don't know where it is. But it's different when I go out the front door and I said, oh, forgot to grab my keys. I left them by the front door. I left them. I know where they are. Didn't lose them. I left them. Something can be lost by accident, but leaving is a deliberate act, though it may not happen suddenly. Right? We can lose something by accident. Oh, man, I lost my phone. I lost my keys. But leaving is a deliberate act. It's a choice that we make. And it doesn't happen suddenly all the time. Also, when we lose something, we don't know where to find it. But when we leave something, we know. Though the church had left its first love to those on the outside, it would appear that this was a happening church. If you attended this church in Ephesus on a Sunday morning, you might think, man, this place got it going on. They're worshiping, man, they're standing strong for, against sin, standing up for truth and for righteousness. The doctrine is spot on, preaching the truth. Man, they're doing great. They're, this is a doctrinally sound church. Yet at the same time, you might have felt like there's something that's just a little bit off. Even though the worship is great, everything is going on, it's all good. There's just something that seems to be a little bit off. Jesus saw the problem, and he brought it to their attention. You have left your first love. What love did they leave? As believers, we're told to love God and to love one another, right? The two go hand in hand. Did they leave their love for God? Did they leave their love for one another? You can't say that you love God and not love others. And you can't really love others without falling in love with Jesus first. We don't know how to do that. You know, I've been here in that place before. I was a part of a church that was doing all the right stuff, preaching the truth, standing against sin, church three times a week, faithful to church, not growing weary, doing all the good stuff. Yet I had lost my first love. I was doing all of these things out of habit out of duty, out of ritual. I was a good Christian because I knew all the right stuff to do. I was asked a question recently that really got me to thinking, kind of where all this came from. The question was this. With all of the unrest, the riots, the violence, the injustice, 
political stuff, you know, the list goes on. What should we as the church be doing? What can we do? This was the question that was asked to me. What can we be doing? What should we do as a church? My mind immediately went to all of these work scenarios. <laughs> well, we need to get out on the streets and we need to start doing this and we need to do that and we, we need to do this and go over there and what if we tried this? What if we try that? My mind started going to all of these things. Then I remembered the once popular saying, WWJD. You <laughs> may remember that, right? WWJD. And so I started thinking, you know, it's not a bad thing to ask, right? I mean, I know there were a lot of people that abused it and that kind of thing. But when you're in a situation, it really is good to stop and say, all right, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in this situation? So I'm thinking about all of this and came into the church office and one morning I'm standing there and I'm having a conversation with, uh, with Crystal about all this and she asked me, she said, have you seen the new slogan, HWLF? Have you seen the new slogan, HW? Anybody seen this? Nobody? My daughters, because I told them about it. That's cheating. Oh, you've seen it. HWLF. And I told Crystal, I said, no, I hadn't seen that. I don't know what that's about. And she said, this is what it means. He would love first. It's the answer to the question, WWJD. What would Jesus do? He would love first. He would love first. You know, I have to admit that Satan is a master at what he does. And one of the things he's a master at is causing division and a dislike for one another in the church. In the church. He's good, man. If I can keep them in fighting, then they won't be out fighting. I, I you know, that's just his strategy. If I can get them to have division and dislike for one another and talking about one another within the church, then that'll be their focus. I've never seen our nation so divided. Man, it breaks my heart. Yes. Every day, more and more unrest. Our nation is so divided right now. And the sad thing is, I see it creeping in the church. I see it creeping in the church. Satan is using this time that we're in right now to cause division among God's people, to get us distracted. I'm going to use a practical example this morning because I believe it's one that we can all relate to. Masks. I'm glad there's no stones in here. 
And in the red corner, we have the masks. And in the black corner, we have the anti-masks. And they're going at it. You know, I get it. There's arguments for both sides. And I'm not going to get into all of that this morning because I don't think that's necessary and that's not what this is about. But I do want to look at a few scriptures in regards to this. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 reminds us, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything comes down to these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The two go hand in hand. They're synonymous, right? If we really want to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we also must love our neighbor and think of the safety of our neighbor. John 13, 34 through 35 reminds us, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you are not wearing a mask in church, the grocery store, other places that you might be because of your own discomfort, are you showing love to the senior adults and to those around you that are at high risk? Just a question. I don't like masks. Don't think I've got a mask company and that's why I'm pushing masks or something like that. It's not the case. I have a compromised immune system. I'm one of the higher risk people. And so, you know, I appreciate it when people wear masks. And I think it's a simple act of love. You know, there's some who do not feel safe to come back to church because not everyone's practicing safe measures. I have spoken with people on the phone that would like to come back to church, but they're not coming to church because they know that there's some that are not practicing safe measures. And it makes them nervous, not fearful. I've talked to them about that. No, pastor, it's not that I'm afraid. I'm trying to use wisdom. This is not about masks. This is about loving our neighbors. This is about loving our neighbors around us. I believe that Paul would wear a mask in church. I'm going to show you why. Look with me for a moment at how Paul lived his life and why. 1 Corinthians 19, or 9, 19 through 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, 
though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. <laughs> I believe Paul would wear a mask. Now, Paul's not talking about compromise here. Don't get me wrong. He's not talking about compromising and whoever you're with. Well, that's what you, well, I don't know what happened. I was with these group of guys. They were talking about robbing the bank, and I didn't want to offend them. So I went ahead and drove the car. And so I wanted to be all things to all people. No, no. <laughs> do not do that. We're, we're not to compromise in our walk with God, but we are to become all things to all people. Why? So we can win some. When we strive to follow Paul's example and become all things to all people, we have got to be willing to humble ourselves, let go of our rights, meet people where they are, and do whatever Jesus calls us to do. You know there are some things that are just not worth fighting over. Jesus died to save them. We need to love people enough to tell them in ways they can understand. But that's difficult to do if we constantly are concerned about making sure we speak our mind, share our opinions, and proving our point. These are tough times. A lot of division. Politically. Talking with a friend the other day, he said, you know, I was at work and we were a good friend there, co-worker, friend of mine. And we started talking about politics. He said, and you know me, I'm passionate. He said, I'm passionate. Well, this gentleman is passionate about his side, too. And so we started to go at it. And you know how it goes. I'm going to tell you, and you are going to listen, and you're going to understand why. But you know what seems to happen with those kinds of things? All we do is get further entrenched in the views that we already have. But anyway, he said, by the time the conversation was over with, I had damaged the relationship. He said, and I knew the minute I walked away that I closed a door there to be able to share the gospel with him. He's not going to want to hear anything I've got to say now. And what is more important? our political views, our opinions, or the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't think there's a comparison, right? 
There is no comparison when it comes to that. The goal of a Christian is to be inoffensive, inoffensive in every way except when it comes to the matter of the cross. We should strive to be inoffensive in every way. The cross itself is offensive, right? It says that in 1 Corinthians 1.18. It talks about the offense of the cross. The preaching of the cross is foolishness, the scripture says. And so people are offended just at the sound of the cross and the blood of Jesus. And so we don't have to worry about that. And so in every other way, we need to be inoffensive. So what would Jesus do? He would love first. He would love first. The most effective way to win people to Jesus is by building a relationship with them and loving them. It is. It's the most effective way. I don't have any other examples other than myself uh, when it comes to this, and so I can only give my testimony and my example. There's a young man that works at Walgreens up here, and we're always in there all the time. You know, you gotta have snacks. You gotta have snacks. And so that, Walgreens got good snacks. <laughs> so we go in there quite a bit. Well, this one youngster guy, I, I started talking with him one day. It was just a simple at first, hey man, how you doing? And we just kind of chit chatted for a minute. Well, every time I go in there, we would just kind of chit chat a little bit like that. Well, the other day I went in there and I asked him how he was doing, and he said, well, okay. He said, but then not okay. He said, you know, this is going on. And he just, he talked for about 15 minutes about stuff. And he gets finished, and he says, I have no idea why I just told you all of that stuff. And I said, well, I do. Well, I do. And the door was opened. I don't, if I hadn't have taken the time to build a relationship with him, he wouldn't have told me all that stuff. Same at the gym. I like to go, as you know, up here to the gym, to Planet Fitness. They do a great job of, of masking and social distancing, and so it's a pretty safe place. And so I'm in there, and I, everybody knows me. I'm the preacher, and, and, and there he is, and so they all know who I am. I go at the same time every morning, so everybody knows everybody. It's kind of a cool little deal. And so I'm there one morning and talking with one of the guys, and he says, sure has been hot lately. And I said, you got that right. And he said, well, I guess that's just a preview for us sinners, isn't it? <laughs> and I said, well, you got that right. I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. That's what we all deserve. We all deserve to go to that hot place. I said, but you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. And I just began to share the gospel of Jesus with him right there in the middle of doing flies, you know. And I mean, but it was a relationship. It's a relationship that opens that door that allows us to win people to Jesus Christ. Theodore Roosevelt said, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? 
I don't care how much you know. My first thing I want to know is, do you really, really care? Do you really care? How can we develop love for others? We can honestly say that true love for others flows from our love for God. And if we have left our love for God, we're not going to be able to love others correctly. So where is your love for God today, church? I'm not asking about church attendance. You're here. You're watching online. Those that are high risk, that cannot be here, praise God, joining us online. Wonderful. Doctrinal beliefs. I'm not asking about your doctrinal beliefs. Your hatred of sin or any of those things that we should be doing as believers. I'm asking you this morning, in this place watching live, are you in love with Jesus Or are things not what they used to be? It's like when we first started dating our future spouse. How many remember the joy and the excitement of when we first started dating? Right? We talk on the phone for hours and hours and hours. Well, it's getting kind of late. I think we should probably go to bed. I'm not going to hang up the phone. I'm just going to leave it here, and I'm going to listen to you sleep. (laughs) It was that joy, that excitement, amen, of that new relationship. I remember one time when I was dating, She wanted, it was late at night, didn't have any food, didn't have any dinner. And I went, Yeah, I don't know what time it was, midnight, after midnight. I drove to Taco Cabana, picked up a full meal, drove it to the house, knocked on the, snuck around the side, knocked on the window, opened the window and gave the dinner. The joy, the excitement. Now, babe, do you think you could take out the trash? I thought we'd ask for the firstborn. (laughs) What is your relationship with your spouse like now? I get it. That initial excitement, the emotion may not still be there, and that's okay. As long as your relationship has developed into a mature love, a more mature love then was better at the first. I see this in my parents. My dad walks around and opens the car door for my mom every time still. (laughs) They've modeled that mature love. Are you in love with Jesus? What is your love relationship like 
with him right now. Search your heart. Have things just become a ritual and habitual? If Jesus came to us this morning, what would he say to this church? Let's look at what Jesus wants to do. This is what he tells the church in Ephesus. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. The first step this morning in in, uh, restoration is to remember. It's to remember. Remember where you have fallen. Remember where they used to be in their love for the Lord and in their love for one another. You know, the prodigal son, he was slopping with the pigs when the Bible says he did what? He remembered. That's the very first thing that he did is he remembered. He said, I remember what it was like in my father's house. I remember. This is always the first step in getting back to where we should be. The second step is to repent. The scripture says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. Repent means a change of mind that leads to a change of action. It means that we turn to the Lord and ask him to renew our first love. We ask him to have mercy on us. We ask him for his favor. We ask him to give us strength to love him and to love others like we ought to. And then he says, thirdly, do the first works. Do the first works. This means that we must go back to the basics, to the very first things we did when we first fell in love with Jesus. Remember back with me to the time when you first surrendered your life to Jesus. Do you remember how excited and in love you were? I do. I do. I remember how I was excited to read my Bible. excited at what God was going to speak to me through his word. I couldn't wait to get up and go to the church for prayer in the morning, to pray. I was excited to pray. I wanted to hang out and fellowship with God's people all the time. Never wanted to go home. Wanted to hang out with God's people all the time. I wanted to be in church anytime the doors were open. Why don't we have in church again? Why don't I wanted to be in church all the time. I volunteered for every ministry. Everything that I could get involved in, I wanted to be a part of that was within my giftings. I wanted to know what God's plan was for me, what God had for me. I was excited. The icing on the cake obviously was the opportunity to lead somebody else to Jesus. I remember first getting saved and going to work and telling people about Jesus. I said, man, what's going on with you? I got saved. I gave my life to Jesus. I don't know a whole lot about it, but man, I feel good. That's all I knew. See, there's nothing wrong with that initial excitement or wanting it to remain or to be restored. But the reality is that for most, the thrill and the excitement doesn't remain so intense. And that's okay. As long as that excitement has matured 
into a depth of love that makes it even better than the first love. Better than the first love. Church, this is no minor matter this morning. For Jesus says that he will remove the lampstand of a church that loses its love for him. The church will no longer shine with the love of Christ and have that bold witness for the gospel. The church might even disappear entirely or may become a church by name only with no power of the gospel. See, I believe this is a message for all churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's a warning. But it also comes with a promise. It also comes with a promise. The promise, to the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Overcomes? Overcomes what? We usually think in the terms of overcoming sin, spiritual warfare. But here, Jesus seems to be speaking about overcoming a coldness of heart, a lack of love marked by leaving our first love. The promise to those who overcome? We're talking about paradise. Eternal life in the place where God lives. I don't know about you, but I like that promise. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.